everyone. Welcome back to the Awkward Therapist Podcast, the show where we psychoanalyze fictional characters and also talk about mental health. Um, today, my guest host is Harmony Holes, and I guess I forgot to mention I'm Tamara James, if you didn't listen to the first episode. Um, Harmony is like probably the most amazing substance abuse counselor with. So... Um, so, Harmony, do you want to, like, share a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah. My name is Harmony Holtz. I'm a certified alcohol and drug counselor in the state of Iowa. Um, I have two little ones, and I feel like I need to mention that I'm also a new wellness blogger with very broad interest, which is probably a really um, sweet way of saying that I do not have a niche, but I'm working on it. <laughs> so, um. So if you haven't guessed already, today we're going to be focusing on substance abuse. And if you follow The Awkward Therapist on Instagram, the hint for this week or for this episode was a scene from The Shining, which is what we're going to talk about today and focus on the character specifically that we're going to talk about is Jack, who is um, Jack Nicholson's character. So some background info for the movie, like it came out in 1980, it stars Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Um, it's based, loosely based on Stephen King's novel of The Shining, but I guess he didn't like the movie, so um, yeah, so there's some trivia, he didn't like Stanley Kubrick's version of his book, so I know, so um, Jack we're, so there's a lot of themes in The Shining, but what we're going to focus on is um, his substance use. It might be something you noticed in the movie. Um, it might not have been something you noticed if you were more freaked out by, like, the, the ghost twins or, like, the blood coming out of the elevator. It's understandable if you didn't notice any of these things. But let's get real, though. The, the alcohol part was way scarier than all of that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and we'll t- we'll go in more detail about, like, alcoholism and um, this what what he was presenting with symptom wise and something that I also wanted to touch base on is um, the relationship between Jack and Wendy who's his wife or Shelley Duvall's character and how it it was really um kind of an abusive relationship well I mean obviously towards the end it was an abusive relationship because he was trying to kill her but like but but leading the, up to it. There. the signs are there very early in the movie even before all the crazy sets in right all the scary stuff so um some of the notes that I made for myself when I was watching the movie so I'm I'm basing this off of the DSM-5 um for Jack as far as I know and Harmony correct me if I'm wrong because I know you've been doing substance abuse counseling way longer than I have but um I noticed that he would probably have like a mild at the beginning of the movie at least he would have like a mild alcohol use disorder because he only had two to three symptoms so this the symptoms that I saw were um he definitely had um reoccurring alcohol use that resulted in failure to fulfill like major roles or obligations so that means like his alcohol use um made it hard for him to fulfill that good father um good husband. you know well. Yeah, good husband role. And this is evidenced by like, you know, his his mom or not his mom, um, Wendy talks about how 
he, he came back from drinking one night and he actually dislocated Danny, the little boy's arm on accident. And, um, yeah. And then some other symptoms I saw were, uh, he, it looked like he was having trouble sleeping. So insomnia is, um, a sign of withdrawal. Um, his, uh, let's see, what else did I write down? Oh, he continued to drink despite how it was affecting his relationships with relationship with his wife. Um, but, and prior to going to his job at the, the hot, the hotel, I almost said the hospital, <laughs> the hotel, he said he had five months sober. And, and, you know, I noticed, um, Wendy had mentioned there in the beginning, um, when she was talking to the doctor that came to examine Danny, that when she talked about the incident that happened with Danny's shoulder being dislocated, that she mentioned, you know, today he has five months, he hasn't drank. But later on in the movie, and this is just a side note, it was over a month into their stay at the hotel um, when Mr. Torrance goes to the bar to order his drink. And he's saying then that he it's been a long five months. So I started thinking back, you know, that's that's another classic symptom of, you know, addiction or alcoholism is hiding use from family. So had he, in fact, been drinking? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. No, that's a great point. And I didn't even think about that. Um, and something else that I wanted you to kind of talk about is at the beginning of the movie, like he's, he's five months sober that we can assume we let's assume that he was five. He really was five yeah. months sober. Where would like, I don't want to say like the average alcoholic, but like the, the average person coming, coming out of addiction at five months sober, where is their head at? Still very, very clouded, I guess, is, is the best way to put it. Um, one of the notes that that I had from you was, you know, kind of talking about the difference between what it means to stop drinking or be sober and then to be active in recovery. So by the sounds of it, Jack had quit, just kind of quit drinking on his own without any, it doesn't sound like he had any outside supports. Or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, so you see, even in the beginning of the movie, um, before all the ghostly stuff, that he's experiencing a lot of what I'm going to call dry drunk symptoms. Um, y- you can see the resentment and the negativity, and he- he's self-obsessed. Um, you know, and later on, he starts fantasizing about drinking. He's lying. He's grandiose. Things like that. But these are all behaviors that persist. With, with anyone, really, even with professional help, behaviorally, mm-hmm. um, the alcoholic or addictive behaviors continue well into sobriety. Right. So can you talk about, um, and I don't know, because I'm sure, like, I've noticed, I noticed some signs he had that before he actually relapsed and had drank. Can you talk about some of the signs of like relapsing before you actually relapse? Yep. So a lot of providers and cameras, you're, you're very familiar with it as well, but we recognize that there is what we call an emotional or mental relapse before the physical relapse. Um, and a lot of what I saw with Jack was a return to what I would guess were his um, drinking behaviors and attitudes. So his, mm-hmm. his anger began to skyrocket. 
he started blaming Wendy for, you know, every inconvenience in his life. Um, he, I, I know I already mentioned self-obsessed, but that's mm-hmm. a big one. Um, and, you know, even before he started drinking, he was fantasizing about it. He went down to that bar um, at least once before, before he initially drank. Um, so he was becoming <laughs> very negative and, and just playing the blame game. And he was on the pity pot. Those are big symptoms before um, a physical relapse happens. Right. And um, what I was thinking or what I was wondering when I was watching the movie is what if like the whole point leading up to like where he finally snaps, that whole part of the movie where you see him slowly and slowly start to lose his grip on reality. What if that was like his whole like... I don't even know what to say. His whole journey of going from drinking to having to do the withdrawal process on his own to being sober on his own. Like, what if that was his journey and, you know, he's experiencing all these symptoms and then maybe the spirits, once he got into a certain point, because in recovery, there's a lot of ups and downs. Oh, yeah. And and especially when those downs hit, it's like you feel like – you're at your mental breaking point. And I feel like the spirits that were there, maybe they had such a huge impact on Jack because where he was like mentally, like he, maybe he wasn't strong enough to hold that, you know, those bags. Definitely. And, and, you know, on, on the topic of, you know, triggers, um, he, you know, prior to moving into this hotel, they were living in, you know, a city, um, so they had access mm-hmm. to people and um, social support, things like that. They could get out. So now they move to this hotel and they're completely isolated. Um, and yes. isolation is so damaging for, for someone that is new to sobriety. Um, mm-hmm. Because the very worst place they can be is in their own mind. Um, right. Yeah. Oh, I am so I am so glad that you said that because I was thinking the same thing too that you know man that isolation like I feel like he was using it as a way to escape alcohol Absolutely. like maybe he was thinking oh maybe me being on on this mountain with my family away from alcohol because prior to I don't know if they mentioned this in the movie at all but I know I read this somewhere that when they take over caretaking for um the hotel there's no alcohol at all in the hotel right like the manager said there's absolutely no alcohol so and I remember um, Jack saying when the when the manager said that on that last day when they moved in he said oh if you didn't bring your own you're out of luck and Jack said well we don't drink you know and he was very confident about that that day you know that day yep that day (laughs) so yeah and and so something else before we because I do want to get into like the um domestic violent relationship between Jack and Wendy. But before we get into that, I want you to talk about like what Danny might be experiencing and um, talk a little bit about ACOA. And um, if no, if people listening don't know what ACOA means, um, it stands for adult children of alcoholic or adult child of an alcoholic. So um, can you talk to us a little bit and give some education on that? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to try to steer some of the symptoms ACOA symptoms kind of overlap what Danny might experience later on as being a a victim of violence in childhood. So I'm going to try to keep them separate. Um, But there are certain 
you know, signs, symptoms, characteristics that children that are raised in alcoholic or addicted homes um, Mm -hmm. exhibit as they get older. And one of them that I can see with Danny is he's going to have difficulty forming relationships later on. Um, he's, he's going to have trust issues. I no doubt his self-esteem will be in the gutter. Um, children of, or adult child of alcoholics and addicts usually have to guess at what normal behavior is. Um, you know, just putting ourselves in the movie and maybe in Danny's shoes, imagine what he's witnessing and trying to guess at what, how am I supposed to act when I'm older? You know, he sees his mom being very timid and his dad being just outrageous and, and drunk and violent. Um, and mm-hmm. you can almost see that he walks on eggshells, which, which is common with DV and um, growing up in an addic- addictive home. Um, another, right. another common characteristic of, of ACOA is lying or avoiding confrontation later on. Um, we noticed that that's a, a big one is that people will lie for no good reason, but it's almost habitual because they've, they've grown to protect the family secret and the family secret is that dad's drunk all the time and it's bad. You know, this goes without saying, but his risk of developing a substance use disorder of his own has, has increased greatly just from what he's been through. And something that um, I wanted to share too is for those of you that haven't watched Dr. Sleep or aren't a fan of The Shining or scary movies. So Dr. Sleep came out pretty recently and was is or is supposed to be a direct sequel to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. So and we see some of um, what Harmony's talking about, like his behaviors and how he's how Danny is supposed to react as an adult and not knowing really what to do. We see that play out as he's an adult, some things that does is um, he will drink as a way to dull his psychic abilities or his shine. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and and I thought what a perfect like example of how alcoholism Mm -hmm. just affects people in general, because how many how many people that we see or in counseling have talked about how they got into drinking or they got into using because they couldn't handle what was going on inside their head. It's, Not that they were psychics, but they medicate. Absolutely. Right. So, yeah. So that's just something, some more to think about. Like as the way that I think there, there's a lot of stigma when it comes to addiction and a lot of people don't understand why people get addicted a lot of people think that it's like a moral failing or like why can't these people just stop but it's really like it's really difficult and it is and and sometimes I like to compare it you know to when I'm talking to to families of of an addict or an alcoholic um, or someone that struggles with a you know a substance use disorder I I like to use the analogy you know have have you ever been stressed out and so you just ate you know, I, I have, mm-hmm. I have, I've been stressed out and put down four little Debbie's and a glass of chocolate milk, you know? Um, yeah. I've, ate, I've eaten a whole bag of a Tostitos. Yeah, I mean, and a whole thing of queso it, in one sitting. It's I've done that comfort, you know, it's comforting. We, we have a void inside of us that, that we don't really know how to deal with or fill. Um, so we, a distract ourselves and B um, gain pleasure from an, from an outside source. 
Um, but it's an unhealthy coping mechanism and it doesn't matter what it is, um, whether it's alcohol or food or shopping or sex, it's, it's a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. And it's probably for a lot of people that are facing addiction, it's been their only coping mechanism for so long. Yeah. And the thing with, with Danny and, you know, other, um, adult children of alcoholics or addicts, that's the coping mechanism that they were taught. That's what they learned. They weren't taught how to deal with emotions. They weren't taught how to deal with life's inconveniences. They were taught that when things, when things go wrong, um, you drink and you avoid it or you use it. Right. Or if you're stressed out, you drink and you avoid it because yeah, it well, makes you feel better. Yeah. They hear dad saying it was a long day. I need a drink. Um, mm-hmm. Not it was a long day. I should take a bath or, or you know, something helped. Right. Um, oh, gosh, it was a rough day. I need a drink. So then that's what, you know, they internalize that. Um, mm-hmm. So as much as we, you know, as as a society, you talked about the stigma as much as um, society might look at someone who, who drinks to cope with stress and think, geez, what's wrong with them? That might be what they learned and they don't know any different until somebody helps them. So what would you say? Cause let's say, um, there might be someone listening to this. That's like, you know, I drink a lot, but I don't think I'm an alcoholic. Like what are some, I guess, signs that, you know, they might, they might be dependent. Um, dependent or just maybe have a, we'll just start with some symptoms and you, you chip in with me. Um, okay. So, so I'm going to start with, with the big one, um, or the big two, and those would be tolerance and withdrawal. Um, I think you can agree that those are probably the biggest ones when we're talking about dependence. Um, so tolerance, um, tolerance just means like, you can, ha- like for me, it takes me probably two glasses of wine before I'm just like done. But for somebody else that's been drinking for a lot longer and more consistently than I do, it could take them maybe 10 glasses of wine right. before they get to wh- where I feel. And that, that means when you build up tolerance. Yep. So there's, there's a song and I just, it just popped into my head, <laughs> but, and part of the, it's an old song it says, I, I used to do a little, but a little wouldn't do it. So a little got more and more. So mm-hmm. If anybody's over the age of, you know, 40 and they're listening to this, they'll, they'll know exactly what <laughs> I'm talking about. Um, but that's tolerance. And that's, you know, I had, like Tamara said, two glasses of wine a night for four nights. And then I realized that I wasn't feeling buzzed anymore on the fourth night because my body had adjusted itself to those. So now I need three. And then a week right. later, now I need four to get that same effect. So that's tolerance. And that's needing more and more of the same, of a substance to get the same result. Mm-hmm. And, and if you like all of a sudden stop, let's say like, oh, I didn't, I didn't drink tonight. And you feel like those hangover feelings. So hangover is like a, it's withdrawal. Like Absolutely. that's what it is, honestly. So, but if it's, if you're having like prolonged withdrawal, Cause I think everybody experiences like a hangover if they drink too, not too much the night before, but this is like serious withdrawal. Like you're, you need to go to the hospital cause that can happen. Like you can actually die from alcohol withdrawal. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and withdrawal can take into account a lot of things. And, you know, I of course don't have my um, folder in front of me, but some of the big ones would be um, it's oh, one of one <laughs> that I 
saw very recently here at one of our residentials was, you know, delusions. And, and I hadn't seen that a lot, um, but they're just awful. And then audit, auditory and hallucinations. Yeah. Um, shakes, um, you know, DTs, um, somebody shaking. Um, and, and you might think like, because Harmony, and this is something that I thought of too when I was watching the movie, was so Harmony just brought up that a sign of withdrawal is auditory and visual hallucinations, yeah. delusions, and thinking like, oh, is that what the ghost that Jack was seeing? Was he really just in withdrawal the entire time and he was seeing delusions? While that is possible, I'm going to say that that's not the case in The Shining because he actually did get alcohol like physically someone gave him alcohol at the hotel because Wendy could smell it and if someone's experiencing a hallucination or delusion they're the only people experiencing it like if someone came up to me and was gonna if I was Wendy and let's say she didn't smell any alcohol on him then yeah maybe it might be all in his head but since she made the comment you've been drinking haven't you and she knew it like she knows his behavior when he's drinking like, that's what, that's what makes the difference between, oh, was he hallucinating the whole time? No, he actually was drinking and being affected by the spirits of both alcohol in nature and spirits of ghost in nature. I'm, I'm actually really glad that you said that because I made a note in, in capital letters that says, does Jack have brain damage from drinking? <laughs> does Jack have wet brain? You know, I, I did make that note. And, and he might, you know, a little bit. Like you said, it, it's not relevant and and the the movie but he might we don't know Mm -hmm. so this was actually a pretty good transition talking about jack and wendy and their relationship but we're going to talk a little bit about domestic violence um so first i kind of want to talk about the cycle of abuse for people that um this is their first time hearing about it i know a lot of people know what domestic violence is but some people don't understand the the spectrum of domestic violence like it's not just physical abuse it's also emotional abuse it's also you know sexual abuse um so the cycle the cycle is there's a honeymoon phase where there's calmness there's there's nothing bad happening and the victim or wendy in this case is really hopeful like at the beginning of the movie where she's like oh it's so great he's been sober for five months and he hasn't touched a single drop of alcohol that's my wendy impression (laughs) and the next part of the cycle is the tension starts building so the tension is increasing which you can feel that in the movie you can feel the tension start to increase between them and the communication is breaking down and the victim starts becoming fearful um, and feels like they need to please the abuser. She needed to please Jack. Mm -hmm. And then there's an incident where violence occurs, where there's anger, blaming, arguing, threats, intimidation, which I have some examples of that in the movie. I'm sure Harmony does too, when he uses intimidation or when he uses threats and whatnot. Aside from the obvious, that's at the end of the movie, we're going to focus on um, the, what was building up to that and the signs of the DV relationships outside of the, the part where he's trying to kill them. Um, <laughs> and then at the, end of the, at the end of the cycle or the last part of the cycle is like the reconciliation. So there's the apologies. Oh, I'm so sorry. It'll never happen again. Um, I, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't me. So then the reconciliation, and then it starts back over. So it goes into that honeymoon phase that I talked about before right after that. So it's really hard for people to break out of that cycle because in their heads it's like you know it's really good now and 
I, I trust this person and this person has been with me through everything. Um, and in a lot of DV situations, the abuser will try to isolate you from friends and family and they will try to make it so like, oh, this is the only, you're the only person for me. I'm the only person for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so many um, DV victims get it caught up on that honeymoon phase, which I know you kind of just, just mentioned that, oh, it's good right now. So then when things go awry again and violence occurs, um, it's really easy for them to blame themselves. You know, I know that it can be good, so I must have done something to cause this. Um, and, mm-hmm. and that's another reason why it's so difficult to break out of um, violent relationships. Be- mm-hmm. Because we, we almost, you know, it's easy to convince ourselves as victims that, that we are to blame. And if we change our behavior, that will impact the relationship in a positive way. Right. So it's like, you know, 90% of the time, this guy's a total asshole and I shouldn't be with him. But the other 10% of the time, wow, this is the best relationship I've ever been in. Right. And it's that 10% of the time that makes it difficult for people to leave. So what am I doing right that 10% of the time that I can keep doing to, yeah, to improve this? So, so some of the, let's talk about some of like the signs that they're in the DV relationship. So something that I noticed was that even though it's Jack's job to do, be the caretaker of the hotel, what I noticed was that Wendy's doing all of his work, like Wendy's doing it all. He's just in his room or in this big study writing a, supposed to be writing a novel, but Wendy's doing it all. Yes. Yeah. And I noticed that too. And, and on top of taking care of the hotel, she's also, and, and I know that, you know, this movie was made many moons ago and things were different, but she's also, um, caring for him 100%. You know, she's making him big lunches and big dinners and wheeling them down to him. And, um, and, and he's treating her like crap when, when she does, but Right. And, and so I'm, what I'm looking off of when I was watching this movie, I had the power and control wheel right in front of me. So, so if you guys don't know what the power and control wheel is, it's basically a, a wheel of examples of domestic violence. And it, and it has a range of physical, sexual, and emotional abuse um, examples. I said before. Um, so some of those were denying, minimizing, and blaming. So um, gaslighting, which is, I feel like Jack did to Wendy a lot. Like when Wendy was talking about like Danny was attacked in one of the hotel rooms, I'm, you know, and she was really worried. What did Jack do? He was like, oh, you're imagining things. We're the only ones here. Like he really didn't take her seriously. No, no, he didn't. And, and, and then on top of that, he it turned it around onto himself and said, you don't care about me. What about me? Do you ever think about my needs? Mm-hmm. So it's almost, yeah. almost exhibits oh, jealousy about her concern for their son. Yeah. And some other control elements that I saw was them. So using privilege, like making all the big decisions, it was Jack's decision to move the entire family and uproot their lives to this hotel in the middle of nowhere. And Wendy just, you know, went with it. And another part of using privilege was him defining the roles of each person in the relationship. So he, he made Wendy the caregiver and he, because I think that's what, when people are alcoholics too, like the people in their support network tend to over care for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Um, can you speak to any of the um, ways he used intimidation against Wendy? Yes. Um, and, and I do have some notes here. They're a little bit jumbled up. So I'm just going to oh, talk about what, what I saw kind of throughout um, classic DV stuff. Um, a big one was that Jekyll and Hyde, um, which, mm-hmm. which is the honeymoon and, you know, and then the escalation um, where he's fine. Everything's going great. And then she can smile at him and say good morning. And he turns into a completely different person. That's very, very classic. Um, DV. Um, belittling was was a big one. Um, there was uh, a she was crying about um, Danny's neck and and um, after Danny had kind of fallen into a trance with his imaginary friend Tony, you know she wanted to take him to a doctor as soon as possible and she was crying and he was mocking her. <laughs> you know, that's my crying Wendy voice. Um, <laughs> we're both like imitating Shelly Duvall I feel so bad we're like, oh. we, we love Shelly Duvall we're just not very good at, at, into, at yeah imitating her yeah. um and intimidation stuff you know he was swinging at her backing her up on the stairs uh-huh. um threatening her give me the bat honey give me the bat honey and then a second later I'm just gonna bash your freaking skull in um he and, and I know this is a little off of intimidation, but we talked about isolation as well. And not only did he bring his family to this hotel and, you know, away from everyone and, and isolate them when, she, when um, I almost called her Shelly, when Wendy wanted to <laughs> leave with, with Danny, um, she had him, she had Jack locked in the freezer and he's telling her, good luck. You're not going anywhere. There's a surprise for you. And he had, you know, disabled the snowcat so they couldn't go anywhere. He had, un- the phones, phone lines were down. He had taken um, apart the motherboard in the radio. So she was completely at his mercy. She could not go anywhere. She couldn't call anybody. I mean, that, ugh, ugh. I know. So, so as we round out this episode today, because I think we, talked about a lot of major topics and I also want to leave room for some resources at the end that I want to share with people. Um, what are your final thoughts on the movie? We rewatching it, I guess, through this lens. And, you know, I've watched the shining 50 times in my life and I've never looked at it. I've never looked at it from the eyes of someone who works in behavioral health and I guess it just blows my mind how prevalent the, the DV and alcoholism um, symptoms are in it. And, and I think I feel sorry for Danny. You know, I never looked at it and thought, oh, poor Danny before. But I think mm-hmm. now looking at it, like you said, through this lens, I think, gosh, that kid is going to have so many issues when he grows up. <laughs> oh. Right. So if you're curious, watch Dr. Sleep because that's about Danny as an adult. It's on my list. <laughs> so um some resources i want to give out to you guys for um if you have any questions about substance abuse or you want to learn more about it you can call the national helpline for samsa it's 1-800-662-HELP so it's um so the numbers are 1-800-662-4357 um some other resources and these will be on the instagram page as well um you can check out local 
Alcoholics Anonymous groups in your area. There's local Narcotics Anonymous groups in your area. Um, if you're not sure where they're at or um, kind of nervous about going alone, they are having Zoom meetings right now. Some of them are um, just because of the pandemic and what's going on. Um, you can also look at look into Smart Recovery. Uh, let's see, for anyone affected by domestic violence or a DV relationship and you just need support or, you know, you, you need, you know, something or you need help, um, call 911 if it's an emergency, first of all. But if you need support, you can call 1-800-799-7233. Or if you're unable to speak safely, you can log on to thehotline.org or text love is all caps, so L-O-V-E-I-S, one word, to 1-866-331-9474. So Harmony, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today and taking time out of your day and um, talking and giving some education about just mental health and addiction. Yeah, thanks for having me and thanks for getting my brain open back up after all of this quarantine stuff. (laughs) <laughs> right it's like stretching after like a nap yeah, yeah. and I think it's probably <laughs> a good topic to touch on you know as quarantine kind of rounds itself out because we've all been isolated mm-hmm. and and we just talked about the effects that that isolation can have on on individuals in recovery gosh man way to round it out that was amazing I didn't even think about that and and, you know just and also like domestic abuse and violence that's that's gonna go up because of the pandemic as well so it's 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 just something to think about um again reach out to those resources I'll have them posted on the Instagram page if anybody needs help you're not alone you know we're here we have lots of support for you out in the community and um if you ever want to reach out head to the awkward therapist on Instagram and I'll be checking messages. And if you ever want to post anything or if even you want questions, um, just send me a DM and uh, thanks everybody. Mm